0: Very good. turn to Philippians 2. We're going to do the last uh, part of Philippians 2 today. So that makes it a great day. Happy birthday, Emily. It's a special birthday this year. So we are very grateful that you get to celebrate it. The uh, is a day for cheerful receiving. That is the title of today's uh, sermon. And uh, so we're from Philippians chapter two, verses 19 through 30. So please listen carefully as always, as this is God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word and we need it more than we think. Thank you for giving us the scriptures and making us your people. Lord, we pray that we would learn from you today, that we would learn how to show concern for others, and that we would learn how to trust you with the details of our lives. Thank you that today we're learning again from the Apostle Paul. Help us to hear his words, understand them, believe them, and obey them. And so we pray, speak through Philippians 2 this morning, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus. For in his name we pray, amen and amen. Well, I had an MRI last week. Uh, How many of you have had an MRI? Oh, quite a few of you. Uh, For those who haven't enjoyed this experience, this is uh, where they take a cardboard roll from inside the paper towels and they stuff you into it. (laughs) And as you can imagine, it freaks some folks out. It's not very big. but the technician administering uh, my MRI was very kind and gentle. And uh, with her encouragement, I managed to get through it just fine. And she had a wonderful accent that I had a hard time placing. And I knew it wasn't from the Deep South, but I had sort of a Southern Appalachian mix to it. So after I was released from MRI captivity, uh, I asked where she was from. And it turns out she hails from a small town in western Kentucky, which explained the accent. And I got to thinking about accents. Why do Irish children grow up speaking with Irish accents? And why is it that if you're reared in Alabama, that's southern for raised, um, you sound southern? And if you grow up in Dallas, you sound like a Texan. And we all know the answer, people grow up imitating those around them. There is a general importance of learning by imitation. That principle is well established. For this reason, parents are uh, concerned their children have the right kind of friends. They know that children imitate other children. Uh, And if their children's friends are violent or vulgar or rude or crude, the odds are much greater that their own children will be violent or vulgar or rude or crude. That becomes even more true in the teen years. At that point, the unconscious habit of imitating mom and dad weekends, and yet despite thinking themselves independent, most teens are quick to imitate their peers. But they're still imitating someone. Television operates this way. It provides a kind of substitute friendship. Um, Some people think it's better than a friend It never talks back, Um, but if you watch Thousands of violent acts before the age of 18 its bound to affect you. If you watch promiscuity day in and day out, even if you conclude that it's immoral, your tolerance level will be altered. These things no longer shock you. For many people, television provides a sort of moral bottom line simply because they have no other dominating reference point. And as television and video have moved online, multiply that influence by millions of screens and millions of people uh, who watch those screens, and the effect in our society is inevitable. There's a massive moral decline. That's why some wise parents limit how much screen time their children get, and when they permit their children to watch, they insist a the parent be present, not least so the content can be talked about and evaluated afterwards. Um, but imitation isn't restricted to the secular arena. It's no less important in the Christian life. Now, how do you learn how to pray? Well, if you were raised in a Christian home, you learn to pray by hearing your parents pray. If you sprang from a Christian home where they only used the King James Version, uh, introduced you to archaic English, then perhaps your very first public prayer probably when you were about six, sounded something like this. We thank thee, blessed God, that in thy mercy thou hast vouchsafed vouchsafed to us thy grace through the merits of thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. But if you were converted in your junior year in college uh, through IV or Crew or RUF, uh, and you never sprang from a home uh, that went to church, your first public prayer probably sounded something like this. We just want to thank you, Jesus, for being here. In both cases, you learn to pray by listening to others and then imitating them. One of the things we're trying to do with our prayer time uh, during the worship service is model prayer for you. You remember a year and a half ago, we first went into lockdown and we put our service online and we published the bulletin. And one of the first things we heard back was people had difficulty with the prayer time, mostly because it just said, take time to pray. And so after hearing from many of you, we started writing out the prayers, eventually got to what we have today, where we have written prayers that show you how and what you can pray for. So you may have noticed we are now, um, the beginning of the prayers, we're going through the Psalms. So we're now up to Psalm 4 today, and um, we always pray for someone else. We pray based on the scripture, and then we have sort of a general prayer uh, for us. And um, so we have these written prayers show you how to pray, but we also have what I call studied prayers, where the pastoral prayer is planned by one of the elders or deacons. It's not always written down. Sometimes it is. Um, but it's thought through in advance. And hopefully through these models of prayer, you're learning to pray by listening to others and then imitating them. Almost everyone, Christian or not, has heard the advice that you need role models in your life. And the alarming thing is that lots of studies show that many Christians have very few, if any, role models to imitate and learn from. There's a number of reasons uh, for that, from being way too busy, to overestimating our own level of spirituality, to simply not being able to find someone we want to model our life after. And yet we're reminded in today's passage in Philippians 2, of the importance of having people who not only proclaim the gospel, but who model the gospel. And here we're given the examples of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Paul wants us to emulate them, which is a nice way of saying these people are role models. You can imitate them. Now, the Apostle Paul himself once wrote, 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And he soon will write, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks in Philippians 3, brothers, join in imitating me And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, Paul doesn't really talk about himself uh, that much in today's passage, but he still gives us an example to follow. So let's look at the beginning, verse 19 and 24. And we're gonna see Paul, the submissive servant. Paul, the submissive servant. If you have the outline uh, with you or online, that's the first blank there. And those two verses simply say, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, in verse 24, and I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. So let's back up, recap where we've been, um, so you can see how this passage ties into the whole book. Uh, earlier in Philippians 2, Paul conveyed the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. So the first four verses were on humility, then we had a section showing us the humiliation and exaltation of Christ, okay? And then we were told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, God's working in us, and now we're given examples uh, to follow. So we have this uh, humiliation and exaltation of Christ, Philippians 2, five through 11, Probably the greatest Christological passage in the Bible, it shows us the gospel of our salvation. And only a deep grasp of the gospel enables us to live lives worthy of the gospel. That's what we've titled this whole series. That comes from Philippians 1.27. Only the gospel and a deep grasp of the gospel enables us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, believing that striving for holiness is possible because God is working in us, enabling us to will and to work for his good pleasure, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. We looked at that last week. But what does that kind of life actually look like? It's easy to say, live a life worthy of the gospel. But what's that look like? And so Paul gives us two clear examples of what it looks like to live lives worthy of the gospel in the examples of Timothy, and Epaphroditus, we get a glimpse of these two men, Paul's most trusted friends, who work out their salvation with fear and trembling, having the same mindset which is yours in Christ Jesus, uh, Philippians two five. Now earlier, uh, Paul had told the church in Ephesus that spiritually speaking, Christ is the ultimate role model. Okay, so don't mishear me. Christ uh, is first. Ephesians four fifteen. it's actually at the end of a long section speaking the truth and love we're to grow up every way into him who is the head into Christ so we're to be like Christ but now Paul models that for us Paul's explaining to the church why Timothy isn't coming to them as soon as they expected and why Epaphroditus is coming sooner and so Paul is going to turn the spotlight on Timothy because he plans to send Timothy to Philippi uh, as soon as his own situation is resolved. But before we look at Timothy, let's notice the apostle is couching his hopes and plans for Timothy, for his own trust in the Lord. And it'd be easy for us to overlook those phrases that express this conviction about who's actually controlling his life. What Paul plans and hopes are always in the Lord. Paul is serving as an example of the great submissive servant, the Lord Jesus himself, who said in John six, but I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now we know if you have read the Bible any length of the time that we're supposed to attach the sort of caveat, Lord willing, to any plans uh, that we make or forecast. After all, biblical wisdom teaches us, Proverbs 16:9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And as you think about that, it's no wonder the book of James comes down hard on those who imagine they can map out their own futures. And James 4, he says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. And generally, we know that. But it's one thing to say the right words, and it's another thing to have our hearts shaped by the reality behind those words. And so what we see in Paul is this deep acceptance of God's sovereignty and this willing submission to the Lord's will. He's well aware that his whole life, every circumstance of his life, and remember, he's in jail. He's under house arrest in Rome. And there's things within his control and things outside of his control, and it all belongs to Jesus. Jesus directs everything in Paul's life and in all of his plans for the future, for God's glory and for his people's well-being. So, when Paul says that he hopes in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, and he trusts in the Lord that he will be free to serve them again, yet at the same time, we see that Paul has a very light grip on his own agenda. And I think that's good counsel for us, to have a light grip on our own agenda. And that's how it should be for us. Christ has the sovereign right and the infinite wisdom to revise our best laid plans. With the simple words that bracket this paragraph, in the Lord Jesus and in the Lord, Paul's a role model for the Philippians and for us. He shows us what spiritually mature, Christ-like planning looks like in the routine decisions of everyday life. Because he's resting in the Lord's will and in the Lord's faithful provision, Paul is freed from being preoccupied with himself. Remember, he's under arrest. He's got Roman guards. I imagine it would be enormously easy to be preoccupied with yourself. But he's not. And he's giving us a model which forces us to ask all sorts of questions. How do you approach planning for your future? Your choice of a college or a career path or a spouse? Your pursuit of a promotion, a move to a new company, a new vocation? Dreams for your retirement? If you're becoming spiritually mature, you'll formulate all of those plans and hopes with humility. Always aware that as your sovereign, Jesus has the right and the wisdom to overrule your choices and redirect your paths. And then your life will demonstrate a willing submission to the Lord Jesus. But Paul's not alone in this, so he directs us to Timothy. And Timothy is the selfless servant. The selfless servant. They're all S's today, it's just how it worked out. So again, we start at verse 19. Uh, We have before Paul's anticipated arrival, the believers in Philippi can expect to receive two other servants of Christ, Paul's young protege, Timothy, and their own servant leader, Epaphroditus. He's from the Philippian church. So these men are going to bring the latest news of Paul's situation in Rome, and uh, he intends to send Timothy soon. He says, starting at verse 19, And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul is willing to send these two invaluable companions to the church in order to set the apprehensive hearts of the Philippians at rest. And although the stated mission of these men is to bring news of Paul's trial and Epaphroditus' recovery, Paul's implicit motive is to place into the midst of the Philippian church two men who exemplify Christ-like humility and concern. And in view of the dissension and division in this church, Paul wants them to see Jesus-like examples of a servant and a servant's heart. So Timothy's uh, tender heart is gonna show them uh, how Christ controls our cares. Almost certainly one of the reasons that Paul provides so many details about Timothy and Epaphroditus is that they can serve as models to be admired and imitated. Paul says of Timothy, starting at verse 20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So right off, he's expecting that his readers, then and now, will react by resolving to become more like Timothy. In fact, we might say that Timothy exemplifies how Christ controls our worries. That's the word Paul uses when he writes that Timothy would be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That word translated here, concerned, is sometimes translated as worries and sometimes translated as anxious or anxiety, uh, depending on the context. Later on in this same letter, Paul's gonna use that same word to encourage his friends in uh, Philippians 4. He's gonna say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Could have written, do not be concerned about anything or do not worry about anything. It's all the same root word. But even more to the point, Paul's catalog of his, all of his sufferings as an apostle, if you remember, there were a whole bunch of them, uh, ranging from social rejection to physical violence. And it reaches his climax in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he lists them all, uh, getting beaten up and shipwrecked and bitten by snakes and all this stuff. And then he says, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Aware of the weaknesses of those who profess faith in response to his preaching, Paul worries over the churches. This is the heaviest weight on his pastoral heart. And Timothy shares that emotional struggle with Paul and that selfless concern for others is setting him head and shoulders above all those other folks in Rome. Timothy loves the Philippians so much Um, that his heart aches with Paul's when they hear of the Philippians' sufferings and their disputes. So when Paul writes, it's very interesting, he says, I have no one like him. I looked that up, that word like, it actually represents a Greek word that only appears here in the entire New Testament. And the word means of equal soul. So I, I looked this up when I realized this is the only time this word occurs. And the literal translation, when you translate from Greek to English, they don't just translate the words, but they have to change the sentence structure to move it from Greek sentence structure to English sentence structure. And uh, so the literal translation says, For no one have I equal sold who genuinely about your affairs will care for. Sounds a lot like Yoda. I thought that was kind of cool. I'm gonna start talking like that. Anyways, you get the point, they're equal-souled. Perhaps Paul chose this unusual word because he's just spoken of the amazing truth early in the chapter that Christ was equal with, with God, but didn't exploit his divine status, but served uh, uh, filled the servant's role. And so now he's talking about his relationship with Timothy and Timothy's selfless service, uh, different from so many others. And he basically says Timothy is going to be an antidote to the spiritual virus of dissension that's infecting the Philippians. And his concern for them, they'll see a man who seeks not his own interests, but those of Christ. And so in effect, Paul is saying, when I send Timothy to you, you will see in his selfless concern for you the very attitude that you need to extend to each other. He imitates Jesus, the king who did not look out for himself but became a selfless servant for you. And this mindset of selfless service is already yours because you are in Christ Jesus. And so that's the mindset that you need to cultivate right now. Now, at this point, you may be, tempted to think that it's apostles and perhaps just pastors can be expected to exhibit this type of selfless service that Timothy displays. But that you, an ordinary Christian, not called a preacher off the hook. After all, you're not wired that way. Well, Timothy wasn't wired that way. Paul's comments about Timothy. Timothy shows up in five of Paul's letters. And uh, All of his comments about Timothy shows us that Timothy wrestles with lots of stuff, fears, anxiety, It works against his ability to focus on the needs of others. He struggles with insecurity, apprehension, even fear of other people and their opinions. And so if you look through all this, Paul is always reassuring Timothy. In fact, in his first letter to that feisty congregation in Corinth, he tries to provide some sort of preemptive protection For Timothy, he tells him, 1 Corinthians 16, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Later on, when he writes to reassure Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, he tells him, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering uh, for the Gospel by the power of God. So even after decades of service at Paul's side, Timothy still needs to be reminded that God's Holy Spirit inspires power and love, not timidity and fear, and he needs to be encouraged not to be ashamed of the Gospel or of Paul himself. And yet, alongside all of these sort of clues to Timothy's Uh, anxiety and fearfulness seem to beset him throughout his life, the New Testament records that he serves the church with consistent faithfulness and compassion. So even though personally he struggles with these things, he also shows great compassion and great faithfulness in his service to the church. He refuses to surrender to his fears. And how does he keep marching forward in the face of fear and concern and anxiety and worry things that we all have to face how do you persevere despite your own uh, misgivings and apprehensions and fear of failure of others disapproval well the answer lies in reminding ourselves as often as necessary that we belong to a divine champion who has dealt the death blow to the worst of our enemies and stays by our side as an ever-present protector. Whatever it is that threatens to paralyze us with anxiety and fear, this same champion, the Lord Jesus, says to us today, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's so what the great British preacher, uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, he called this talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. It's easy to become convinced, you know, that we can never change. Or God's ready to kick us to the curb after we screwed up the same way for the millionth time. But he says, don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself, preach to yourself. Go back to the Gospel of Romans eight. Remember that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. Remember that you're a child of God, and if a child, then an heir. Remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All that's from Romans 8. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And by grace, Timothy has found the power to push back against his own timidity and to care more about Jesus and about Jesus' people than he cares about himself. So despite his fears, Paul commends him as a model of Christ's compassion. Even more explicit uh, is with Epaphroditus. After Paul details his courage, he adds, verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Not only him, but such men, men like Epaphroditus. For in such men, Paul is showing us patterns of life that we can admire and imitate. So let's turn to Epaphroditus, starting at verse 25. And he's the suffering servant. And uh, so we have the selfless servant, or the the, um, submissive servant, the selfless servant, suffering servant. Probably could have come up with another S, but that's what we got. So verse 25. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. as says, honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So even though Paul's waiting to send Timothy until the situation gets worked out, he isn't going to wait to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi. He's going to send him immediately as soon as the ink dries on this letter, which Epaphroditus is going to hand deliver to Philippi. He's a member of the Philippian church. As Paul says, verse 25, your messenger minister to my need. He had delivered the church's uh, contribution towards Paul's expenses while he was under house arrest, and he stayed on to help Paul. But Epaphroditus had fallen gravely ill, and we're not told the nature of his illness, but this alarming news that he was at death's door had reached his friends back in Philippi, By God's grace he recovered and now Paul wants to get him back there as soon as possible and in good health to put the rest of all the rumors about his illness near to death that's distressing the church. And Epaphroditus is himself distressed over the report that his friends are worried. He's upset that they're upset. So he wants to go home to reassure them. So he's gonna set out for Philippi immediately. And this isn't like going from you know, like Leesburg to Sterling. This is like going from like Leesburg to San Diego. I mean, Rome to Philippi is a couple thousand miles. We don't tend to know our geography well, but the Mediterranean is really big. And Rome's in the middle, and Philippi is way, way to the east. So it's, it's not a simple trip. And uh, yet, despite that, again, Paul has another motive. The Philippians need a role model. And he's going to send them Epaphroditus, a man they know well, and show them what it means in the nitty-gritty of everyday life to share the mindset of Christ so thoroughly that he's ready, to the point of death, to follow in the Savior's footsteps. And Paul draws the Philippians attention to Epaphroditus, he gives them no fewer than five titles of respect and companionship. Three of them are about his relationship with Paul and two are on his relationship with the church. So he says he's uh, his brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier but he actually come from Philippi all the way to Rome as the church's messenger and minister. And together, these titles portray this man as a bridge. He connects Christians uh, in one place with Christians in another, working together as partners in the gospel. And when Epaphroditus reached Rome, it's uh, as though the whole Philippian church had showed up to care for the apostle. And now Paul is returning Epaphroditus to the Philippians, and in him, they're going to see Paul's own love for them. And notice he gives them two instructions on uh, uh, his welcome home party. First, he says, Receive him in the Lord with all joy, and then honor such men. Now, Paul's summons to joy as an invitation to celebrate uh, God's kindness and sparing his children, um, sorrows in a sorrow-infected age. And his summons to honor such men is his way of focusing attention on Epaphroditus' willingness to put his life on the line to accomplish his mission for Christ. And Paul is feeding his friends the right answer to the question, whom do you want to be like when you grow up? Paul's suggestion that the Philippians imitate Timothy and Epaphroditus His instruction is that they follow his example and the pattern of living that he taught. It's offered as an antidote to all the cultural models that surround us. The assumption is that we inevitably imitate someone. And there is an abundant supply of bad role models out there. In the next chapter, Paul's going to warn against those who are trying to impose observance of the Jewish law. He's gonna warn against those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And as Christians, we need to be intentional in choosing whom to imitate, or likely we'll drift towards the bad role models. So we're told to look at Paul and to look at Timothy and to look at Epaphroditus. Let Paul teach you the reality of Christ's control of your life so that you frame your plans and dreams and hopes in the light of Christ's Lordship. Let Timothy show you what it looks like to push back against your own fears and instead have your heart open to the cares and concerns of others. Let Epaphroditus show you the quiet courage that takes risks to personal health and safety, that puts one's own comforts and conveniences in jeopardy for the work of Christ and servants to the servants of Jesus but also it tells us to look around. Do you see fathers and mothers in the faith sitting around you this morning? Is there anyone in this room that you could say, I wanna be like him, I wanna be like her when I grow up? So get close to them, watch them, discover what makes them tick. Maybe for some of you who are older, do you see sons and daughters in the faith who are looking to you to be a role model of Jesus, showing them what it looks like to surrender our plans to Jesus' control, to have Jesus turn our cares outward to embrace others, to have the gospel so captivate our hearts that we would gladly risk comfort and convenience for the work of Christ. Some of you are gonna have both. You'll be a mentor to some while you're being mentored by others. But look around, those people are here. Some of them are not here today, but they're here a lot of the time. We need to have fathers and mothers and sons and daughters uh, in our lives. The Philippians are going to see the submission of Jesus reflected in Paul's readiness to let God direct his plans. The Philippians are going to see the selfless service of Jesus and Timothy's concern for their well-being above his own. The Philippians are going to see the suffering of Jesus in one of their own, Epaphroditus, a man who's prepared to risk his life for the cause of Christ. Hebrews 13, seven says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So as you look at Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, look through them to the Lord Jesus, whose gospel they preached, by whose spirit they served. In them, the Philippians could glimpse role models who could say, the imitators of me as I am of Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Think about that. You need to pray. Take a moment to do that and then I'll close. Our Lord and our God, thank you that you have spoken to us by your Son. Open our eyes that we might see our sin and then see our Savior. God, our Father, we bow before you and we confess our reluctance to be a role model. We're quick to imitate the world. We're slow to seek out and emulate the godly among us. Forgive us. Redirect us to people whose lives are worth imitating. Lord, give us the awareness that our our whole life and every circumstance in it, things within our control and things outside our control, all belong to Jesus. Father, help us to push back against our own fears and instead have our hearts open to the cares and concerns of others. Show us what it means to risk our own comforts and convenience in service to others. So continue to work in each of us this fall as we keep learning how to live lives worthy of the gospel. Teach us to respond with a greater trust in you and your word and through the book of Philippians draw us ever closer to the one who loved us and gave himself for us, your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.